0: Welcome, everybody. Mark's my name, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us today on CA Church. Uh, And uh, we're really honored that you're with us today. We've just started a series on the family called Healthy Families. I've heard many of you wishing to change some things in your family and not really knowing how and those kind of things, as well as feeling stuck at home while this pandemic is still on. So how can we strengthen the places in our marriages that are a little weak, and how can we do what God wants us to experience in our marriages? Well, the text today is Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 18, but we would, before we get there, I wanna start in Genesis chapter one and two and ask some key questions, actually some theology questions of the family. In fact, I've, I've pulled together seven truths that I'd like each of us to understand before we get to Ephesians five. First, God designed marriage and the family. Nothing or no one else did, it was God. God was the the designer of all of life. He gave us instruction on how to best have our marriages work, but many in our world say, I don't like the design. Or Or some will say, I will not obey the designer. Well, that's why many of us end up in stressed relationships and even divorce. Some of us are thinking that we're the creators. We got all the answers. We're not, that's God. The creation account, as written in Genesis, was written to teach Israel about who God was and who we are as people. He created everything, and as such, the Creator knows what is best for the creatures. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they will rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Second point is the text clearly depicts men and women as the pinnacle of all creation. God created that he is the designer as such. He knows what he's doing and knows what he wants. In the early years, mankind was seen as pawns in a chaotic and violent life. Life was seen as cheap and there was no dignity worth living for. So God revealed to Adam and Eve, you were created with purpose and dignity and worth. Totally different than what they once thought. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. He created them. Male and female, he created them. God's creative design was for male and female to rule together as a couple. So God is the creative creator And of all of creation, and he wanted men and women to be created in his image. Humanity was divided into male and female. This is his choice as the creator, not ours. Two authors, Allender and Longman, in their book Intimate Allies, write that men are often, but not always, reflecting God's warrior, worker, creative, and strength aspect of who God is. Women, are often, but not always, reflecting God's creative, relational, and gentle aspects of who God is. And together, men and women reveal who God is to His people, who have been in slavery for years. Now, I realize that there's a, that is a tiny and somewhat exaggerative summary of all men and women, but bear with me as I understand how we so often pigeonhole what men and women can do and cannot do. But this is not what I mean to get into here. There's much, much more that needs to be say, said upon that in another setting. Number four, Adam and Eve are to mirror God's character and change how they relate to each other. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 states that mankind reflects God's character and personhood as the queens and kings of creation. They were not just slaves, but people who will become treasured people of God. Number five, Genesis one 31a, it says God saw all that he made and it was very good. The text quotes God's declaration all through the creation days, but the, all of them were good and good and good until men and women were created and then it was very good. The sixth theological truth is this, that God created Adam and Eve as co-equals over all of creation, not one over the other or one under the other. Genesis 1, says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves. God was speaking to them, it says, not to Eve and not Adam and not to Adam and not Eve. He spoke to mankind and womankind, not just that woman and man, all of us he's speaking to. And all of us are responsible to lead and rule well in this wonderful creation he's given us. We are co-leaders together, all responsible as men and women. The seventh truth is this. Mankind must be mindful that God has given us the responsibility to lead each other and help each other become more and more like himself. Man and woman were charged with the responsibility to mirror who God is and to help His image to emerge in each other. This is huge. God holds us responsible for our each other, as well as our broken and, and brothers and sisters who don't get many things right in life. The truth is written in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, where it says, really hinting what's going on back in Genesis, For husbands, this means love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her, verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Get this, please. In the Genesis account and now in the teaching of Ephesians 5, God gives men and women the responsibility to help their spouse grow and reflect the character of God in others. If we're not doing that, we're failing God in a key area of our married lives. He wants us to love and to submit to each other in our relationships, outside and inside our marriage. He he doesn't want us to live harshly or unloving toward each other. Another great lesson is back to the creation account where Adam and Eve were created in a sinless world. Remember this? Think of what it must have been like. Imagine life if there was no sin, no twistedness, no broken relationships. Everyone had a family and the families were great. Husbands and wives would love and cherish each other. Husbands and wives would honor their commitment to be faith-filled. Moms and dads would honor and teach their children to be responsible and respectful and Christ-like. People would communicate with grace and truth. No lies, no manipulation, no affairs, no divorce, no broken promises, no rebellion by children. Parents would be honored and respected by their kids and would live honorable lives. Parents would be wise and patient to help each child rise to know and obey God's words for themselves and be devoted to the task that God has made them for. Employers would be honest to pay their workers fairly and share some of the profits with them as well. One writer put it this way, Just imagine what things would be like. No frustration, no pressure, no fights, no sicknesses, no clothes. Yes! But soon, uh, there was a tragic event, which theologians today call it the fall. This term was when mankind turned away from God, and sin became the internal reality and the driving force of all of our lives. Our world dramatically changed when mankind decided to invite brokenness and sin into our lives rather than obeying God. Since then, God has been on a quest to redeem and restore all that is broken and twisted in us. In fact, the Bible says, Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again in Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death. The result of sin in our lives produces death, but the gift, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what's so bad about the fall that it has changed our marriages today? Back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, please. Then the second part of that verse reveals what's happened in our relationship. Get this now, please. It says, To the woman, God says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your, here it is. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That is the problem verse right there. God said the issue of wives will be wrapped up in the phrase desire, your desire. The word desire means to dominate or overshadow or manipulate your husband. She will be harsh and not loving. She will not serve her husband. In fact, she will be at odds with her husband and herself. That's wrapped up in that word desire. God said the issue for husbands is wrapped up in another phrase. It's the word rule. He will rule over you. The word rule means dictatorial leadership. It means to be in heart be harsh and self-centered, not loving and not serving. It says that he will be at odds with his wife and at odds with himself. Hence the battle of the sexes, fighting over who's better, who's in control, who's got the upper hand. Wow. Kind of pinpoints it, doesn't it? This war of the sexes has continued to be the way of life and marriage until the New Testament time, especially specifically when Ephesians chapter five was written. Turn, please, to Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen. I'm going to read this, and but I, as it's abnormal, I want you to know now. I understand, but I'd like you not to stand, but to take your Bible and follow through with me. And we need to go through this slowly. Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't be controlled with wine, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Godhead. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with washing with water through his word, and present her to himself a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Lord, teach us what this means. In Jesus' name, amen. In this text, Paul points out the problem and then the solution to the problem. The solution to husbands who want to be self-centered and harsh with their wife is simple. Humble yourself and choose to love and serve her as Jesus wants you to. Solution to wives is quite simple as well. Uh, who want to rule over their husband is, is, is the same thing. Humble yourself. Love and choose to serve your husband as Jesus wants you to. This text in Ephesians addresses the male versus the female problem with a very simplistic answer. Ephesians 5.18, Be filled or controlled with with wine? No, no, no. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is to Ephesus. This was the place the goddess Artemis was, a perverted and over-sexualized, man-hating uh, cult. It's just awful. They used men and discarded them like garbage. And of course, they wouldn't submit to them to, to, to men, But when the Holy Spirit comes in, it's a different thing. God's character in us chooses, we start making decisions that God wants us to. Now the text says because we're filled with the Spirit, there will be four things that will happen in our lives. First, verse 19, we will speak differently. Speaking godly rather than harshly and unlovingly, we'll speak different. Verse 19b says we'll sing, we'll have music in our hearts that we don't have before. Folks, a sad picture, a while back I was talking to a lady who was grieving so hard over the death of her son that she said in her words, I can't sing anymore. Pain and loss often takes our song away. Sin and brokenness and death do that to us. But God puts a new song in our heart by the Holy Spirit when we're filled with the Spirit. Next in verse 20, always give thanks to God. We become thankful people. When was the last time you looked deeply into the eyes of your spouse and said, I am so thankful that I married you. And if I had it all to do over again, I would choose you. Fourthly, there's, and here's the key, verse 21, mutual submission. Wow. Each of, each other would humble themselves and submit themselves to Jesus and to each other in the married world. So in verse 22, it really mirrors Genesis three sixteen: Submit to your husband. Not... Wrongly desire, but put or put him down or dismiss your spouse. Not try to rule over him, but love and submit. And he submits to you. Verse 25 really mirrors again Genesis 3.16 for men. Stop being harsh with your wife, but be kind and gentle. Instead of being mean and choosing we choose our wives to be to love them the way Jesus wants us to. Jesus is again the example of submission to others. And when we're filled with the spirit, we submit to one another. Amazing. This produces in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit as spoken of in Galatians 5:22 and 23. It's the answer to our problems when we face marriage. In fact, it says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we are a husband and a wife like that, filled with the Spirit and and given over to, mutually submitting to one another, that makes our marriages work. So let let me shift gears. Here's now six life principles on all that we've said which will help us develop a thriving marriage. Number one, get some help. Many times we think we're all alone and we have no one or nothing to go to. There's great counselors that we can go to. Many of us are way too close to the problem to understand our own stuff. And that's why we need some help by a a friend who will lean in, a trusted friend who may say, see something very clearly in your life that if you allow them to, then you can address it. But sin makes us blind and sin makes us stupid and self-centered. But a kind friend can point those things out. A few, I've been getting a few emails in the last little while asking me to keep challenging us to, as it relates to our marriages. We need to humble ourselves, admit we have a problem, and repent. I'm reminded of James chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Let's walk through that, through that text slowly here a little bit. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives favor and grace to the humble. Humble people say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Proud people never say that. Humble people do. And God loves to help them. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submission is the key. We determine whether evil can be influencing us or stop evil and start allowing God's grace to influence us. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Uh, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's kind of hard to Read that, wow. This is in preparation for God's entrance into his presence as a priest. Wash yourselves, purify your hearts, repent, choose to be single-minded. Verse nine, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, realize the twistedness that we're in that separates us from God and harms our spouse. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. He'll lift you up. And that's what he wants to do. All through history, he's been doing this. Verse, or the, the second principle is learn to laugh and enjoy your spouse. Uh, there is a Christian message around that is wrongly saying that spirituality is next to grumpiness. That's a lie. Matthew eleven nineteen in the Living Bible says, Jesus came enjoying life. John 10.10 says, he says, uh, live life to the full. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. That's a great choice, and it's a choice to love her. Jesus calls us, in fact, he commands us to go out and play, as it were. This is the choice to do, not just because we feel like it, but because it says, lighten up and enjoy every aspect of married life. I was thinking we might uh, even need to hire an assistant pastor, pastor of fun, who can pastor and, and bring enjoyment and clarity in our staff that we need to laugh more. First Timothy 6, 17 says, God gives us all kinds of things for us to enjoy, and one of those is our spouse. Diane and I try to do something a little goofy every once in a while with each other, a little crazy. A couple times I've had, I, I, I put her underwear in the freezer. I, I've, I've seen that work. It works best if you missed it a little bit and then it stands right up when you're having breakfast with her. Anyhow, the problem is uh, this woman whom God gave me at times holds a terrible grudge and and doesn't let even get back at me for maybe a month and I'm running around jumpy because I don't know where she's going to be or what she's going to do. One of those times uh, she got back at me, um, she threw snow on me, which really isn't really bad unless you realize I was in the shower. I thought the shower would have been like barrier line there. It didn't work. God says, enjoy your life with your wife, whom you love. It's a command. Number three, do stuff together. I'm sorry, I mean to say do together stuff, which is different because what I'm saying is don't just do stuff with her, but do stuff that draws you together. Grammatically incorrect, I realize, but it's true. We need to do this. What draws you and your spouse together? Then do more of that. The reason you don't do that kind of stuff is the rest of your life seems to be full of diapers and bills and chores and decisions and all the stuff you have to do. All of us need some downtime, not just to be together, but to be together as a loving couple. And and remember that this is Jesus' idea, not ours. And I think heaven smiles when husbands and wives take some time together and deal correctly with joy-filled lives. One of the key things to do together is to pray. Diane and I don't have this one totally together because we don't pray every day and we should. As you get into bed, pray together. I think it's wonderful for a husband to listen to a wife of what bothers her, what she's enjoying and appreciating. And I think it's the same wonder of the wife listening to her husband talk to the Heavenly Father about what he needs to bleed better and all those kinds of things. Folks, don't rob yourselves of that experience. That old saying is true. Those that pray together, stay together. Fourth principle, don't get kidnapped. By that I mean, this is a huge problem in most all of our marriages because when kids come along to the added mix of already an already busy life, things get very, very overbooked soon. Hey, we love our kids. I get it. But there are times that kids need can eclipse anything that that where the husband and wife hope to do some togetherness stuff. And when you have more than one kid, it becomes very demanding. A lack of privacy mixed with heightened fatigue and a crammed schedule can create this attitude problem. Have you noticed that it's easier to sign up for things than it is to show up for things? And many times you and I sign up for way more stuff. We gotta make sure that we stop that and start making the commitments that God wants us to. Not being guilted into stuff and that kind of thing. And he needs to direct us because many times we live with this low-grade anger problem because we're busy. Busyness robs us of intimacy and joy and margin and making memories as a couple. We need to get our act together there. Fifth point, understand and accept and celebrate the personal differences of your spouse. Romans 15, seven, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God the Father. Diane has wisely had our kids and myself and herself take these these different personality tests through the years. It, It has helped us. It helped us understand each other and therefore we cut each other a little more slack because we understand that's just like them. These tests can be used wrongly, I get that, when we poke fun at each other and mock each other, but we have found them to be helpful. A problem that may arise from this is that you kind of find your strengths become your thorns. By this I mean that things that drew you together as a couple now separate you. Such as you may be drawn to your husband because he would go get in shape and he spent time at the gym and see, so he's looking good and all that stuff. But now you're thinking, why do you spend so much time in the gym? Why do you spend your energy and time and energy and all of that? Put it away and you could be doing chores at home and, get to my point? Same thing happens with husbands. They say, you know, when you get all drawn up and, and, and uh, pretty like and everything else, things are wonderful. But now, you know, that, thing, that stuff costs money. You go in and get your fur all done and you're beautified or whatever it is. Some husbands say, don't spend so much money and time on that. You get my point. The truth is, you get the package. The good traits of your personality of your spouse and the poor traits of the personality of your spouse. Don't sweat the small stuff. None of us get it all right. Cut them some slack. So develop a spiritual ag- of acceptance with your spouse. Number six, grow up. James chapter four, verses one and two says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have. You scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to make, take it away from them. Yet you don't have it because you don't ask God for it. Immaturity is a huge cause for marital unrest and divorce. The Swiss psychologist Paul Tournier saw self-centeredness and stubbornness as the two biggies, he called them, that often create overwhelmed, overwhelming anger for your spouse. For many people, they think that life revolves around themselves, and when they get angry, if things are not done a certain way, and that's their way. Now, for instance, let's say we had a camera person here, and we're all assembled in in the space upstairs in our sanctuary, and this camera person took a picture all of a sudden. What would be the criteria whether you would think that would be a good picture or a bad picture? Most would answer, well, it all depends how I look in the picture. If I look good, it doesn't matter if somebody's got their finger in their nose next to me, it doesn't matter at all. If I look good, that's good. That's true. That's self-centeredness. And if I'm the only one that looks good, it doesn't matter. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others first and of that they are better than yourself. Don't, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others. Folks, That's what I felt that today I should talk to you about. And I want to go over a couple of things. Humble yourself. God has created you. He calls you by name, the scripture says. Another thing to to remember is is you are the pinnacle of God's creation. Another thing with your spouse, you are are to rule together. Meaning in, in your world or what you're doing with your children, with your companies that you have, rule together with your spouse um the mission that God has created us, one of them is to make sure that his his character is brought forward in the in the, the strength and the weakness of your spouse and you can help him or her produce the character of God. And so I would say to you, get some help learn to laugh at each other and with each other do together stuff together don't get kidnapped. Understand and accept and celebrate the personal, personality differences of your spouse. And lastly, we just got to be mature and humble and grow up. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for every person that's here, married, not married. We ask that you would give us wisdom and that we would know of how you are leading and working in us and through us for the betterment of others. We humble ourselves. We choose to humble ourselves. And we choose to be filled with the Spirit. The result of that being that we will mutually submit to one another. May that resound in our hearts this week and in the months to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks, folks.